0: fashion questions on each episode we ask a different question to retail insiders about the fashion industry this is where they share their views and insights brought to you by hive the group's fashion portfolio includes Moda and spring and autumn fair pure london and source fashion stay tuned Welcome to our Fashion Questions podcast. This episode is all about diversity and inclusion. The fashion industry has always favoured tall and skinny models. If you look into catwalk footage of the past few decades, they tend to look quite similar, But over the past years, things have been changing, and it's not unusual to see mature and curvy models walking for top luxury brands. There's still a lot to do. That's why today's question is, how to bring body positivity to your marketing campaign? To talk to us about this, I'm happy to welcome John Horner, Director of Models One Agency, to our Hive Studios. Good morning, John, and thank you so much for being with us.
1: Good morning to you. It's a pleasure.
0: The fashion industry has changed quite a lot over the past few years, so much so that now it's frequent to see a wide range of models on the catwalk from age to body shape. Have you noticed a change in demand from your clients? Uh,
1: I think the first thing is that catwalk is not a a good barometer for the industry as a whole because in reality it's a very small part of the year, although of course it's it's about fashion. Uh, The second thing is that there are different kinds of models. Uh, You get high fashion, top end, um, who get paid a lot of money, you get regular fashion, and then you get regular day-to-day models. Um, So in each particular section, there there are various changes. But in short answer to your question, yes, there have been quite a lot of changes over the past few years. Um, And obviously it's led by the design industry. They're the ones who make the changes for which we provide the models.
0: Do you actually look for models that are outside the young, tall and skinny type or do you have enough models approaching you that are outside that preconceived idea of what a model should look like?
1: Well, I can only speak for models one um, and we have different divisions. We have a new faces division which is where young Boys and girls uh, join the agency and then their careers are developed. Uh, We then have main board, which is regular models for high street brands, if you like, and a bit above. And then we have the fashion section, which is called image. We also have a curve division, which speaks for itself. And we have something called classic, which is where we have more mature models. So typically, ladies who've left the business and then come back after having children or something like that. Uh, so at the bottom end, I guess, a model might start working at 16, 17. And our oldest model is 95 and is still mm. working. Uh-huh. Um, and we have, as I said, a curve division, um, which is slightly unusual for a mainstream model agency to have curve as well as the other divisions. It's not exclusive. There are other agencies that do it, but we're quite unusual in that respect. So we would think we represent them all.
0: But in terms of clients and their requests, do you notice a difference?
1: Yes, hugely. Well, after Black Lives Matter, absurdly, everybody suddenly was asking for a much wider variety of models. Um, I think that was in pure response to that, and I would suggest it was a bit political. But today, uh, on an ongoing basis, yes, um, a lot of our briefs, I would say a good 60% of our briefs, ask for more than just uh, white girls and boys.
0: And what's the ratio of testing models in terms of percentage?
1: It's quite scary. It depends on the agency. But if you're a fashion model agency, which we are, well, let me give you a little example. We had what we call an open day, which we announced on TikTok. And we had 1,000 applications. We weren't going to manage 1,000 in a day. (laughs) But we open every Wednesday between 10 and 12. If you add those two together, because we've been closed because of COVID historically, uh, about a 1,000 models have walked through our door in the last three months, and we haven't taken on anybody. So we're very, very choosy in terms of who we take, but uh, we have no discriminatory uh, behavior insofar as we will take on pretty well anybody who meets our particular requirements. So it doesn't matter whether they're curvy or classic or younger.
0: What are those requirements? What do you look for in a model?
1: It's massively subjective. Agencies are all different and as I said, we're towards high fashion Um, and so we look for somebody who is not just a classic beauty. We look for somebody who um, is distinctive, who has a bit of personality that helps your job, is more than just a coat hanger. Uh, We want people who are quirky, for example, but at the end of the day, I will look at uh, people coming into the agency and I will think that boy or that girl is amazing And then within two minutes, the agent who's met with them says no. And I just, I don't understand. Mm -hmm. And then they tell me, well, actually, their cheekbones aren't quite high enough and they would not work in camera or their nose is not quite this or that. Mm -hmm. So it's a very, very subjective area. Uh, We have our own measure of it. because I don't handle the models day to day.
0: And what is the feedback you get from the brands and retailers you work with at Models One In terms of performance, reach, and impact on sales, do consumers respond well to campaigns that are more diverse?
1: It's very hard to say that, you know, because I'm going back a few years. Marks and Spencers famously did a campaign which was very diverse. I'm going back quite a long time. And the campaign ended with a curve girl on the top of the hill in Silhouette, Mm -hmm. And for them, it was a disaster, Um, but that was a long time ago. And one of the things that's changed dramatically, of course, is the whole advent of e-commerce. And the thing about e-commerce is you can much more easily measure your direct return on investment. So, there's a lot more e-commerce now than there was, I mean massively more than there ever was before. And a client working with a diverse range of models will decide very quickly because they measure the sales almost by return, whether or not model A, B or C is working for that particular brand. Um, And again, back to your basic question, I think, yes, clients are seeing a different kind of response um, to what what they're looking for or hoping to get. But you have to remember that the Ethnic minority community in the UK is still pretty small in absolute numbers. It's less than 10%, I think. So, you know, if you're trying to influence that particular sector, uh, it's a small proportion of your total sales, I suggest. It will vary from brand to brand, but it can be a small proportion.
0: And now with so many luxury brands, and not only luxury brands, but across the retail industry, brands tend to look out for influencers on social media, people who are more relatable in a way. And did that impact the business, or there's still a high demand for professional models who know how to do things and are trained?
1: The market has divided, inevitably. It's fragmented, and... I don't know if the time of the influence is going to come and go, but for the time being, they are quite strong. And as I said earlier, uh, you can measure return on investment with an influencer in a much easier way than you can with a model because a model is a passive image. Uh, Not always, but in television, but mostly it's a passive image. Um, But what I do suggest is that a model's image in a magazine, for example, be it online or in a traditional magazine, has a much greater depth and uh, longer-term awareness contribution than simply an influencer. I think an influencer is very immediate. And I think, yes, of course, consumers do respond to influencers. Um, But back again to the question, what's happened is that marketing budgets are relatively finite. And clients have been experimenting quite a lot by putting X percentage of their budget either into influencers or into social media. I think they seem to be winding back a bit from social media. And they're using influencers in different ways. So some of them use big, famous influencers, um, but the level of um, interaction and of of, um, engagement is potentially much much lower. So you buy somebody who's got two million Mm -hmm. followers. It's probably far less than somebody who's got 500 followers because you're following the 5,000 person because you want to, whereas you might be following the 2 million person just because you might as well. you know. Mm-hmm. So it's a different way of measuring these things. But going back to your question, yeah, the market has fragmented considerably and clients are hiving off a proportion of their budgets for influencers and for social media.
0: And in terms of your own uh, recruitment, do you actually look at someone's social media following before hiring?
1: No, we don't. We are a model agency and we want people who look like models or like we want models to look and who, if you like, have a visual aspiration. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's very important. If they bring with them social followers, that's great. But if they have got none and they look great, then frankly, that's the way it is. I think the important thing is models are used to being on, for the most part, the other side of the camera. Influencers are also on that side of the camera. They are talking directly to camera. So for models to be used to being hair and made up and all the rest of it and then finding themselves Filming themselves um, is pretty difficult because they're not used to that kind of behavior. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to be good at um, modeling Uh, in order to be good at social media. The two are kind of different. And some models are not very good at social media. They just haven't got it to Mm do. They're different skills in many respects.
0: And um, what would you say to businesses that are reluctant to bring body positivity to their marketing campaign? Because in a way, to go for the preconceived idea of a model is much more safe.
1: I think from what you said in your introduction, the preconceived idea of a model has changed quite a lot. But I know for sure that there is a level of aspiration which uh, customers aspire to. And I think... There's nothing that says you can't have a different range and collection of models representing your brand, nothing whatever. Uh, the world is much more understanding, especially the younger target markets that the clients are addressing. They're much better equipped at understanding uh, the differences between the, the ethnic types and, and the different shapes and sizes of, of all the models.
0: And. Is it possible to be diverse with a limited marketing budget when you cannot, you know, I'm thinking of small and independent retailers, for instance. There's a
1: bit of a myth that the well-known model agencies are very, very expensive. Um, Yes, we have, shall I say, expensive uh, models because they've got high profiles, probably big followers as well. Um, and they're towards being famous as individuals as opposed to just models. You know, m- modeling is not necessarily expensive, and there is no reason that you can't choose a selection of models from different categories within the same agency. We all have uh, an ethnic mix. I think I did a rough hand count. We've got about 30% of our models are non white at Models mm-hmm. One. Um, they're all available, and their price ranges are considerable. Mm. But over 50% of our business is now e-commerce, and that tells you quite a lot um, because e-commerce is a, is a kind of a different business altogether.
0: Yes, and now includes video as well if we think of, I don't know, e-commerce platforms like NetAporté, for instance, or Farfetch. People don't just want to see images. They want to see how the clothes move with the, with All the body. All of
1: that. Yep, this is big change time. And, you know, some brands like ASOS, for example, they always feature the whole model. Uh, they never just show... You know, a tailor's dummy with the model with the clothes on. They want the model. They want the model to move and to wear the clothes. And for them, it's much, much more successful. And a lot of companies, especially the little ones, and I'm very sympathetic because they don't have the budgets. They don't feature a human person in it at all. So it's very hard for a customer to aspire or to understand the brand. And increasingly, customers will want to see themselves in those clothes online. And it's you know it's beginning to happen. There are companies that are doing that stuff right now.
0: Yes. In terms of body positivity, do you think this is just the buzz that will fade out or is this an ongoing process for a real change that is taking place?
1: I think it's an ongoing process. Um, I think a lot of customer clients um, are coming to terms with it, beginning to understand it better. What we don't want is tokenism. I mean, don't put uh, a model of color in a campaign just because you feel you should. Clients, uh, customers aren't stupid. They can see through that. They really can remember your customer. And the customer has needs and desires. Uh, They're not fooled by tokenism at all. So I hope it's not a phase. Uh, It appears not to be because we are taking on more and more um, models of color. And and we look to do so. Um, We would prefer an even higher proportion that we've got currently. There is demand for them, which there wasn't many years ago.
0: Thank you so much, John, for being with us. It's a pleasure. And thank you for listening. Stay tuned.